I have been looking forward to beginning this new worship series since I first came across it in Cokesbury. In this series, we will see Christmas time through the eyes of the Grinch and see how Christmas affects the Grinch because he absolutely despised and hated Christmas and all that he thought it stood for. Does everybody know the Grinch? Darren's got his Grinch green on. Good job. Totally intentional, right? Yep. Mary, I told Mary Lou she had Grinch green on too. Does everybody know the Grinch? What do you think of when you think of the Grinch? For me, I think of the song. You know, the, the one that the guy with the real deep voice, you are a mean one, Mr. Grinch, that one, that says, you really are a heel, as cuddly as a cactus, as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. The song says that the Grinch is vile. He has yellow teeth and green skin, termites in his smile, and is just as sweet and tender as a seasick crocodile. Just makes you want to cuddle up with him, doesn't it? He's a monster, it says, with an empty hole for a heart, with garlic in his soul. Can you imagine his breath? If you have garlic in your soul, oh. He has no friends. And I agree with the song as it says that I certainly would not touch him with a 39 and a half foot pole. So we ask ourselves, what makes the Grinch so Grinchy? How can you hate Christmas? How could you possibly hate the most wonderful time of the year? And how could you hate it so much that you try to steal Christmas away? He wants to just move past the whole thing and have it over with. There are so many ways that we might be able to relate to the story of the Grinch and how he almost stole Christmas. So what comes to your mind when you think about the Grinch? I think about the song. Do you think about the green-furred monster with yellow teeth and red eyes? Or maybe, <coughs> excuse me, less of a character and more of a person you think of. Does anybody know any Grinchy people? Maybe you know someone who's Grinch-like, grumbling their way through the holidays, returning a frown or a mean mug for every smile and a growl for every cheery holiday greeting. Does anybody know anybody like that? Or maybe, <coughs> excuse me, and I forgot my water. Maybe, just maybe, it's you. Have you ever felt like a Grinch? Dominic called me a Grinch this morning. Have you at least had some Grinchy moments? Yeah, we've all been there. Even in the most wonderful time of the year, there are things that we just don't enjoy, that we want to just move past, move beyond. Are we all Grinches sometimes? That's a horrible thought. And even worse to consider, can Christians be Grinches? How? How could we, the brothers and sisters of Jesus, be grinchy about the beginning of our redemption story? Because this is our time, Christians. You don't get Easter without Christmas. You don't get salvation without Jesus. And we don't get any of that if Jesus isn't born. So how can we be grinchy about our own story? We don't understand the Grinch. 
We never know the why of the Grinch's story. There are theories. We never know why he hates Christmas truly. We just know that he does. Dr. Seuss, when he wrote the book, intentionally left the backstory of the Grinch's hatred a vague one in his original writing. But truly, isn't that the way with hate sometimes? We never can really wrap our minds around why hate exists or what reasons there could be for such an invasive kind of hate. Did you ever see hate and you just think, how did we get here? What, what went wrong? Hate is complex. It's a big emotion. It can cause destruction. And many times, there are no answers that we can understand. But we try. We try to give it a name. We try to understand it. I wondered, as I thought about the Grinch, I wonder if he stood in the darkness of his cave all alone, except for poor Max, his dog, his one and only companion, who ends up with a reindeer horn strapped on his head. Poor Max. I wonder, though, if the Grinch hated Christmas because he didn't feel like Christmas would ever happen for him. And could the hate that shrunk the Grinch's heart come from a place of deep hurt because he felt outside of the reach of Christmas? And rather than be alone in his hurt, he decided that misery would indeed love company, and so he invited the entire town of Whoville into his hurt with him. And he tried to steal Christmas so that they would stand in darkness also. And so that they would know what it felt like to stand outside of the reach of Christmas. <coughs> That's not how it is supposed to be. See, the story of the Grinch, the, the real story of the Grinch was born in hate. Did you know that? When Dr. Seuss wrote the story, it was the result of his own hate. He hated how commercialized Christmas had become. Dr. Seuss thought that we had moved so far away from the real reason for Christmas, he was so discouraged and so angry that he penned the tale of the Grinch who stole Christmas. Maybe it was his wish that all of the trappings of Christmas could be stolen away to leave us with just the story the story of God becoming man. You know, we think of hate as a bad thing, right? We teach our kids, you know, when I was a kid and I said I hated something, my mom would say, no, 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 don't say you hate it. Hate's, hate's too big a word, too bad a word. Say you really, really don't like it. So I would say I really, really don't like something. When inside my head I went, I really hate it. But I really, really don't like it. But hate, while for the most part is a bad thing, can also be scriptural. Did you ever think of that? Scripture tells us, and I know you're like, seriously, we just lit the candle of hope and she's preaching about hate. But how do we get here? Just hold on. Scripture tells us that hate is used as a tool against evil. Scripture tells us to hate 
all that is evil and to love all that is good. Have you ever hated something? David and I were just talking about this in the car. I hate flan. Do you know what flan is? It's terrible. If you've ever been to the Mexican restaurant, you have the opportunity to eat flan. I don't What is it supposed to be, Mom? It's not. It's suppo- desserts are supposed to be delicious. You're right, but it's not. It's disgusting. I hate it. I don't really, really dislike it. I hate it. I had to eat it for my birthday when I was a kid. For my birthday, Richard. For my birthday. Because my grandpa's favorite restaurant was the Columbia Restaurant. It was a Cuban restaurant. And when we went there, that was what they had for dessert. So for my birthday, I got to eat flan. I hate flan. I don't want to be around it. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to smell it. I don't want to see it. I don't want you to eat it in front of me. I'd rather it just didn't exist. And if I could do something, if I had the power to abolish all flan from the face of the earth, I would do that because I hate it. That's what we're supposed to do when scripture tells us to hate evil. We're supposed to not want to see it or hear it or touch it or have it in our presence. We're supposed to work to abolish it, whatever it is. Scripture tells us to use hate as a tool against evil. In the book of Amos that Laura read to us this morning, it's written that we should seek good and not evil, that we may live. It tells us to hate evil and to love good, that we will establish justice. We throw the word love around a lot, and we try not to throw the word hate around as much. Love is an overused word, because when we as Christians understand what love is, love is God. God is love, and so when we are of love, we are of God. When we know love, we know God. And so when we say we love all that is good and we hate all that is evil, those are very, very big statements. Hate is a strong emotion. When you have reached the level of hating something, there's often no stopping you from doing something with that hate. So God instructs us to do something. God instructs us to hate evil and to love good. Hate what is evil. Dr. Seuss hated the fact that Christmas had become about everything but the true story of Jesus' birth. And that frustration and hatred motivated him to write a story about the Grinch who hated Christmas, who hated it enough to steal all the trappings of Christmas away. But little did the Grinch know that Christmas could not be stolen because Christmas isn't an object. It's not a tree or a bulb, a feast, a light, an ornament, a song, or a stocking. Christmas is so much more. God hated the injustice and the arrogance that he saw in the world. In the scripture we read from Amos today, we hear God's frustration and anger, hatred even. In Amos chapter 5, the prophet records the word of God saying, I hate, I reject your festivals, I don't enjoy your joyous assemblies. Take away the noise of your songs. I won't listen to the melody of your harps but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God hated that his people had become self-righteous and arrogant. 
But if you notice, God's people are still doing the things of Christianity. They were still gathering to worship, having religious festivals and assemblies. They're still singing praises to God. But God said, I don't want to hear it because I know your hearts. And I know in your hearts you're not doing the right thing. And so until you do what is right, then I don't want to hear any of that stuff. God did not appreciate or approve of their assemblies because he knew that maybe their hearts had shrunk three sizes too small. And they were hardened against the truth of what is good and what is evil and what they're supposed to do about it. God's expectation for his people is that they hate what is evil and love what is good. God's expectation is for us to align our ideas of what is good with God's idea of what is good and to align our ideas of what is evil with God's idea of what is evil. If you say you hate to see people go hungry, but you don't do anything to support your local food pantry or meal sharing program, do you really hate it? I hate flan. I actively go out of my way to avoid and educate people as to why they should avoid it, because I hate it. If you say, I hate people going hungry, but then you do nothing about it, do you, you don't hate it. You might strongly dislike it. If you say you hate homelessness, but you never volunteer to work in a homeless shelter, or financially support a homeless shelter, or even carry those blessing bags in your car that you see that you can give to people who are struggling with hunger and homelessness. It's got granola bars in it and socks and maybe $5 and something that simple. If you say you hate hunger and homelessness, but you never do even the most simple thing, you don't hate it. You might dislike it. If you say that you hate educational disparity among our children, but you never volunteer to help with an after-school reading program or read to your grandkids or support the imagination library that supplies children with books, do you really hate the evil that is disparities in our system? If we as a church say that we hate war, and we light the candle of peace on our advent calendar, and then we leave our worship services, and we actively sow division in our communities, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our friend groups, on our social media accounts for all the world to see. You don't hate war. You don't hate the evil of war if you sow division where you go. And do you really love the good that is peace? God's expectation for mankind was that we would hate what is evil and love what is good in our world. God's expectation was that we would use our free will to do what is right. God's expectation for his people went unmet. Humankind fell short of his expectation, but our God, who hates what is evil, he did not abandon us, just the opposite, in fact. God did something something quite unexpected. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. 
And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his unexpected words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. God hated what was evil in the world, and God sent all that was good. I don't know what your expectations are for this Christmas. I don't know what you hold in your mind's eye. I'm not sure how you would define those expectations coming to be. I can tell you that as a pastor, I always set high expectations for myself at Christmas time. Last year, just days before Thanksgiving, I called Molly in a flat-out panic. I felt as if someone had snuck into our world and stolen Christmas. I knew that there was no way that Christmas would ever come the way I had expected and planned. I called Molly and she answered me from her mini vacation poolside at Kalahari. I'm not even sure why she answered the phone. And she listened to my panic and temper-filled rant about not being able to find Christmas. How could we have Christmas with no worship service? We can't get together. And how, how are we going to have Christmas if we don't have Silent Night all sung together by candlelight? And how are we going to have Christmas when we can't be together? Where would Christmas even be? What would Christmas even look like if Christmas is not what we think it's going to look like? And in her wisdom, my friend said, no, we're not going to have Christmas in our sanctuary. We won't sing Silent Night by Candlelight, standing all together. We won't be able to do all the things that you've envisioned in your mind and in your heart. But then she said, but Christmas will come. No matter what, Jesus will be born and all will be well. And I heard her words. And then I understood what the scripture said when it said that Mary was perplexed and pondered these things those unexpected words delivered by an angel because that certainly wasn't her expectation for how her first child would come. See, because that's the thing about God. God doesn't bend to our will because God is the author of all things. And when it seems as if your expectations must be met in order for Christmas to come or for life to go on, then we're called to hear the word of God and ponder it away in our heart. After my phone call from Molly, I, I asked God what he wanted for us this Christmas. God had spoken to me through my friend and reminded me that even though my plans would not happen, that God, God's plans would and that Christmas would come and that all would be well. Jesus would be born and I relaxed a little. And I asked God how we could celebrate the birth of the Messiah, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace who would reign forevermore. And he reminded me of the simplicity of the story. And last Christmas Eve, at the moment that all of my expectations for Christmas truly died, I stood in the doorway of a barn and I read the scripture and we sang of the birth of Christ, and Christmas came, 
and it was perfect. And it was one of the most meaningful moments that I have shared with God in ministry, and I pray that I never forget. I pray that I never forget that sometimes unmet expectations are the very thing that will